What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. Let's go to uh, the book of Acts. We're starting a a series today going through the book of Acts and uh, simply focused on understanding the church and our identity. When I say our identity, I'm talking about you as an individual as well as us collectively. So we're going to go, we're going to start at the very beginning, Acts chapter 1. And we're not going to read the entire book of, uh, or the, the entire chapter one and the entire chapter two. If you follow us on social media, which you should, even if you're fasting social media for life, um, just do this for us. Unfollow everybody else and follow Convo Church and everything will be okay. It'll be fantastic. You'll be able to, you know, get communication, see what we're doing. But we put out there yesterday, say, hey, before you get to church, read Acts chapter one, read Acts chapter two, and be ready for what we're gonna dive into today because I don't wanna take all the time to read those two chapters. We're gonna pull out a couple of highlights to get the idea of what, uh, of what is the foundation is being built through the book of Acts that we're gonna be tackling. So I'm gonna start, um, actually read some extra ones that weren't on here. I'm gonna stick to verse, starting at verse four. Acts chapter one, verse four. It says, once he was eating with them, speaking of Jesus after his resurrection, he was with his disciples from time to time. It says, once he was eating with them, he commanded them, commanded being a powerful word, but important. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, talking about John the Baptist, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Somebody say, Holy Spirit. That's very important to understand that's what we're talking about. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? And he replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. So let me give you a quick breakdown of the book of Revelation. Stop freaking out about how everything's going to happen because it's not for you to know. That was the quickest breakdown of that book ever in the history of the world. No, it's no get in it, but I'm telling you, some people spend so much time panicking and freaking out about how, when's Jesus going to come back and when's it going to look like. It's like, just love God, live as a light in our world, and let the Father take care of the rest, okay? If it makes you feel better, the disciples were concerned about the same thing. All right. He says, but you will receive power, somebody say power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, in your home, in Reno, in Sparks, in Northern Nevada, in the United States, and around the world. Let's make that personal and relevant to where we are in our life as well. It says, after saying this, he was taken up, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, uh, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Which is a dumb question. Do you not know what just happened? That was incredible. Uh, Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return, amen, from heaven in the same way you saw him go. All right, so that's, that's where I wanna hit on chapter one. Now let's go over to chapter two. Again, if you're concerned that I'm skipping things, go back and read it yourself. It's right there for you. It's beautiful. 
Um, so let's read uh, chapter two, verses one through six, and I'm gonna skip even more and paraphrase, and I'll give you one more verse, then we're diving in, y'all ready? It says, on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost was part of the, the Jewish festivals. This happened 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. It says, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. I love that word, suddenly. Whenever you see words like that in scripture, it's trying to get your attention because there's something suddenly that happened. I want you to know about it. It says, it filled the house where they were sitting, and then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages or other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, and when they heard the loud noise, somebody needs to underline this in your Bible, because you got to understand, sometimes when you read that, you're like, oh, they were having a prayer service, and they were trying to come up with a metaphor for Jesus. It was just a really good prayer service. No, there was an explosion that took place that was so loud that people from all over the city heard it and came running to find out what happened. Like, that's what it just said. So let's go ahead and put ourselves in the context of what's happening, because literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people came running to figure out what the sound was that they just heard. <clears throat> Lost my place. There we go. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages because they had come from all over the world to be in Jerusalem at that time, being spoken by the believers. Incredible. So there's a lot that happens immediately after that. Paul, um, um, Peter, who actually not too earlier before this had just denied publicly multiple times that he even knew who Jesus was. Jesus was arrested. He was about to be illegally tried. He was about to be crucified. And that somebody sees Peter like, hey, aren't you one of those guys with Jesus? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know who he is. And he even does it the third time. He goes, I, I swear, I don't even know who this Jesus is. All of a sudden, he's the one standing up and preaching the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the first time because the church is started. And he presents the reality of Jesus to Thousands and thousands of people, we know it's many thousands because 3,000 of them, that's verse 41, I got ahead of myself. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Notice it doesn't say that everyone who showed up believed. So we know that there were more than 3,000. So thousands and thousands of people heard this sound, this explosion, and they came to figure out what it was. And at that, when they showed up, they were hearing all these believers who were spilling out of this room, this upper room, filled with the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they were praying in a new language, and the Holy Spirit used that for people from other places that spoke other languages to hear God being glorified in their own language. It's quite, it's quite an incredible passage of Scripture here. So we see the church has started and the church begins. So let me pray for you. We got a couple of things we're going to say today. Because, you know, at Convo Church, we're all about making sure everybody feels warm fuzzies all the time and is never challenged in any way. Um, so we, we might have a couple of those moments today. But let's pray because God's got some stuff he wants us to get today, okay? So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are not here to bring our expertise to who you are, God. We're here to surrender ourselves to you. We're here to open up our hearts. God, we're not a church that just wants to gather and hang. We are people who want to grow. We want to grow. We want to be more like you. We want to be exactly what you created us to be. So we pray for humble hearts, for open ears. God, we pray for barriers to be put down today in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say amen. amen. 
How many of you, I've had uh, two weeks in a row of food analogies. I think that's because we were coming off of fasting. How many of you have ever tasted something and then the, the moment that you tasted it, you're like, man, that's missing something. Some of y'all are culinary geniuses. You know, you're like, oh, it needs some, some turmeric or I don't even know what I thought of that. I don't even know what that is, honestly. Um, or, you know, it needs a, a dash of salt. All right, well, let me tell you a story about myself. I think I was about seven or eight years old. And how many of you grew up with Kool-Aid in the house? What was your favorite flavor? Tang. I, I was down with Tang, too. But Tang doesn't fit in the analogy because all you got to do is add water, okay? I was down with the Tang. Red. Like, that's how you know you were really a Kool-Aid person because it wasn't a flavor. It was a color. Purple. Like, purple's not a flavor. Well, it, it said purple. Grape. So I, I, was, I, was the, I like red Kool-Aid. And you always knew because there was always a leftover right around here. I was like, you had Kool-Aid? No. Okay. Clearly you have so if you really remember back in the day, like it didn't come in those like pre-made, you know, containers where you just scoop it and add water. It came in them little bitty packets, right? And so, you know, I remember going there like 25 cents a pack. And I was like, mom, can you get like, ten, get like 10 of them? She's like, 10? I was like, man, how, what do you, how much money do you think I got? So get the packets. For whatever reason, my mom always was the one that had to make the Kool-Aid. I don't know why, but she's the one that made it. So I just assumed that you magically put the stuff in there, add the water, drink it up, and you're good to go because that's what would happen. So one day, I'm like, you know what? I'm all grown. I'm going to go make myself some Kool-Aid. And I was so all grown that I had to go do it outside and make sure I didn't get caught doing it. And so I took the pitcher that we used because we had one pitcher that was our Kool-Aid pitcher. And it was, you know, some Tupperware stuff. I took it outside. I got my pack of cherry, uh, red Kool-Aid, and I put it in there and I turned on the outdoor hose and I put the water in it, kind of give a little shake. And I'm drinking and I spit it out. I'm like, what is this? I'm like something is missing. Well, as it turns out, my mother would also put sugar in it, so it didn't taste disgusting. Now, I married a, a beautiful woman that my wife and I have now been married for almost 21 years in January. Those applause are for you for putting up with me. So I, I, I discovered that she also grew up drinking Kool-Aid, but she grew up drinking Kool-Aid where there was no sugar put in it. And I'm wondering, exactly, I'm wondering to myself, I'm like, how is that? So my only thought is that she never had it with sugar, so she never knew what she was missing, which was the sweetness and the goodness of that bleached substance that we put in our beverages to drink. It's so good. And it just confused me. But I knew when I drank that Kool-Aid, something was missing. And you know what's ironic when we talk about and we think about the church? I believe there's so much of the world that looks at the church and they say, you know what, I think there's something missing. There's something missing. Because you got to understand the church is not our design. The church is not a business idea. The church is something that God started. We just read when it started in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And there, there are, are specific ingredients that if they are missing from who the church is and what the church does, we will not be the church. So we're going into the book of Acts. And, and I want to give you a little bit of a definition too for church. And uh, because I think that's important, because if we don't get on the same page, because, you know, words actually mean things, right? Like they still do today. Words actually have definitions that mean things, and we have to understand that. Otherwise, we're, we're left to kind of make things up on our own based on our experiences and preferences, right? Right? Okay, just making sure. All right, so here's the definition. The church, and this comes from Acts chapter 2, is the consistent and faithful gathering of Jesus followers. The gathering's important. Last couple of years, there were some pretty significant heresies and false teachings. I use that term very, very uh, specifically. 
that was trying to paint the picture, you know, where it's like pandemic and can we gather? Should we gather? Do we need to gather? People are like, I don't need to gather to be the church. I am the church. But like, no, you're not actually because the word church is, is ecclesia, which is not a Christian term. It was actually a Greek term that meant the gathering of people who represented a governing body. And so the reason why that you, the word church was placed on what we now just think of easily as the church is because we weren't gathering to be a political body on earth. We were gathering to be a representation of the kingdom of God on earth. So whenever we gather, we are the church. You can't be the church by yourself. I do church by myself in the woods. No, you don't. You're with Jesus. Yeah, sure. You're a part of the body of Christ. Yes, but you can't be the church unless we are together. That's very, very important to understand moving forward in this book. I don't know. Okay. So the church is the consistent and faithful gathering of Jesus' followers filled with the Holy Spirit who have devoted themselves to biblical discipleship, fellowship, prayer, and fulfilling the Great Commission. Like that's what defines the church. So it's, it's kind of like just showing up to church doesn't make you the church either. There are elements to it. I can go hang out at the, at the mechanic shop all I want to, but I'm not a mechanic. And you don't want me working on your car. You're like, well, I show up there all the time. I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> Shouldn't do that. I was like, well, just because we show up to church doesn't make us the church. There are things that need to be happening in us. And there are things that need to be happening collectively that actually define us as the church. So we're going through the book of Acts and we need to understand it's not, some people know the book of Acts as the Acts of the Apostles. But more accurately, it's actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because this is when we see the, the, the last piece of the fullness of the Trinity of God be revealed on earth to complete and begin the, the finish line, if you will, of what God was doing through creation to bring humanity into relationship with him. Pastor Amy referenced it at the end of worship. So the, in the Old Testament, God the Father had the same desire then that he has now, which is intimate relationship with his sons and daughters. But because sin was in the world and our Savior had not yet come, he, they couldn't have that access the way that we have now. But Jesus came, went to the cross, became the perfect sacrifice for our sins, for all the world, so that whoever would believe in him, put their faith in him, would be saved, therefore being able to have access to relationship with the Father. But Jesus even told the disciples, hey guys, I'm going to leave you. You're like, well, that stinks. Why, why would you do that? Let's just stay here forever, Jesus. It would be awesome. He's like, maybe it might be for some of you, but I wouldn't be able to be with all of you. So he says in John 14, it's better if I go back to heaven, because if I do, then I'm able to send my spirit to not just be with you, but to actually be in you. And that's, that's, those are for, that's for those who believe, those who put their faith in God. The Holy Spirit comes and makes his home inside your heart. But today we're, we're not just talking about that little piece that we let the Holy Spirit have. We're talking about that desire to be baptized in the fullness of the Holy Spirit so that we can do the thing that God has called us to do. So the book of Acts was written by uh, a Greek doctor named Luke. He's also the same one who wrote um, the Gospel of Luke. It was actually, Acts is a follow-up to his first, uh, the first letter that he wrote. So you'll, you'll see in that very first verse, he's talking to somebody. It's a continuation. And so it, it's very powerful. And so here's the message of the book of Acts. If I can put it in, in one sentence, all of the, the 20, 26 chapters. It's, it's that the church is as the body of Christ and individuals, right? So it's you, but it's us together. Um, we cannot function apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Like that's the message you will see throughout the book of Acts. We cannot function the way that we are intended to function without 
the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. And here's how I know that's true. Because, you know, the big thing is like, go and preach the gospel, go to the world, tell the world about the gospel. The disciples, the early Jesus followers before Acts, they had the gospel. They already had it. Because the gospel is the incarnation of Christ, which means that it was God made flesh, not flesh becoming God. There are other religions that claim Christianity that are not, who don't believe that Jesus was a part of the Trinity, but he was a man who became God because he lived a sinless life. That's not what we believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. So it's the incarnation of Christ. It's the fact that he lived a sinless life, that he became our sacrifice on the cross. And not only did he die for us, but he rose from the dead and anyone who puts their faith in him will be saved. That's good news. And that's good news for you, by the way. That's good news for anybody. And the word gospel actually means good news. So if that's the case, the disciples already had that. They already had the gospel, but for whatever reason, Jesus says, do not go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Don't do it until you have received the gift that the Father promised. Talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, so even Jesus was letting us know, hey, I'm, I'm about to start this thing that eventually they're gonna call the church and eventually y'all don't know it yet. People are gonna refer to you as Christians like a little Christ and uh, you already know me, you know what I came to do, you know what's available for the whole world, but don't do it yet because you need something that's gonna give the message power. Here's why. Because without power, the gospel is simply a cool story. It's just a cool story. Like it's, it's a fairy tale. But when the Holy Spirit shows up, it actually gives power to the message of Jesus. Here's the, here's the thing about it. even saying that it becomes a cool story. That's actually not true. Because here's the reality. If, if Jesus is not who he says he is, then he is insane. Can we be real for a second? I know for so many, like even other religions that would say, you know, we, 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 we don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but we respect him as a teacher and prophet. That's ridiculous because if he's not everything he said he is, he is a lunatic. Are you serious? Like if anybody else showed up right now and started to make the claims that Jesus made, you, and, and even if they did some good stuff, you wouldn't be like, well, you know, I know he's a little out there, but he's a nice guy. He's pretty, he's, a, he's you know, he's got some good teaching. No, he's psycho. He's psycho, and I don't want to hang out with this guy. I don't want to follow him. I certainly don't want to, you know, be considered one of it. No, if Jesus isn't everything, everything that he says that he is, then everything else goes out the window. It's the Holy Spirit showing up, giving power to that reality is what makes it real for us today. And what happens is if we, if we try to present the gospel of Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually end up misrepresenting Jesus because what we're telling people lacks the power to bring the transformation that the message of Christ is actually meant to bring. And that's where religion comes in, where it becomes about our efforts, our own strength, our own good ideas, our best efforts, and even eventually coming up with versions of Christianity and Jesus that aren't even accurate. Like, well, to me, Jesus is this. Well, it doesn't have to be to you anything because he tells us who he is. And so it's so important for us to understand a couple of key elements about the authority of scripture. I'm gonna give you two passages, which is not an exhaustive um, uh, study on the authority of scripture, but they're two very powerful ones. Here's the first one in Hebrews 4. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful, by the way, today, not just thousands of years ago. The word of God is alive and powerful. 
It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Some of y'all are already like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need those coming to the surface. You know, Let's keep those buried down deep down inside. No, uh, nothing in creation, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And here you go. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Like we, we can create a culture all we want in our world where we don't hold anybody accountable for anything. Because if we do, then that means that we have to be accountable for our thing. But at some point in time, everyone is going to be held accountable for God. I always, always kind of laugh. Maybe laugh is an appropriate gesture. But when, you know, people got that shirt, it's like only God can judge me. I'm like, listen, let me help you out. You don't want to wait until that moment happens. Only God can judge me. Well, I get what you're trying to say. But, yeah, I would highly suggest not waiting until the moment that you stand before God to face the judgment. Um, there is grace now in the name of Jesus so that you don't have to continue to live in what God cannot coexist with for eternity. Moving right along. So 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 15. I love this. Paul, the Apostle Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And, and here's, here's a, just, just a quick thought. The New Testament church did not have the Bible that we have. That's kind of important to understand. And so what they had was they had the Old Testament and they had the teaching of the apostles who had walked with Jesus, which is why those letters show up in what we now have as the New, and the New Testament because it was the revelation of what Jesus had shown and spoken to those that had walked with him to show what the New Testament and the New Covenant was gonna be like. All they had was the Old Testament and then the teaching appointed to Jesus. So that's important to know. So he says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. And then this infamous verse gets dropped. All Scripture, somebody say all. All All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. So just right there in that verse alone, we are being told that there is truth and there is the opposite of truth. There is right and there is wrong. And it's not for us to come up with our own ideals of what that is. It's up to Scripture to do so. Because Scripture, which is inspired by God, is the tool that God uses to convict our hearts. So the Holy Spirit can do that convicting inside of us to say, hey, God loves you, but he doesn't want you to stay like you are. People use that statement like, God loves me just as I am. Take that last part off because he, has, he doesn't actually love the version of you. He just loves you. And he loves who he created you to be and wants to take you there. When we say things like, God just loves me the way I am, that's something that we would use that removes the power of the Holy Spirit for transformation and makes us comfortable in our sin so that we can justify what we are doing that we know doesn't honor God and we don't have to be accountable for our actions. Woo. I'm preaching to myself, y'all. Calm down. Okay. I love this. It says, um, it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it. Here's the point. What's the, why does God need us to know what's right and wrong? Because God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. God's not bringing right and wrong to the surface just so he can be like, smack, that was wrong, you know? Do it right. No, he's doing it because the purpose of us experiencing transformation from the Holy Spirit and from the truth of Scripture is so that we can be prepared and equipped. 
Why? To do every good work that God has called us to do as the church. So you see the, the, the power, the truth, the relevance of scripture that's for today, just in those two passages alone. But let me, let me go a little bit further on your, on your toes this morning. Is that okay? Do I have permission? I'm going to do it anyway. Um, how many of you have heard the term uh, woke Christianity? You've, you've heard it. Okay. How many of you would feel, well, maybe don't raise your hand. How many of you would feel confident that you could accurately define what that even means? I would say most of us probably could not because that term woke has, has many different applications in many different places. I am only specifically speaking to how it is being used in Christianity, okay? Not to others because there are valid conversations to be had in a lot of places. But as it pertains to Christianity, we have to address this. <clears throat> there is, um, I wanna give it some definition as it pertains to woke Christianity because it is very important in understanding the role of the Holy Spirit and whether the church is following the direction we should or whether we are being pulled by culture in a different direction that we should not. And so, and, and I, don't, I don't do this lightly at all. This has been something that for months and months I've been looking into studying, looking at the cultural reference as well as the theological cross-reference to make sure that we can present something that puts us on the same page. But, but this is what I got. Woke Christianity is a modern ideology where experiential and cultural influence and preference steer values and beliefs under the name of Christianity. In this reality, truth is determined not by God, but by our experiences. Your truth becomes more important than established truth, historical truth, and theological truth. Your truth becomes your savior instead of Jesus, who is truth, being your savior. And here, here's a dangerous byproduct, again, focusing on the church in the church. Scripture, instead of being like our, our authority and our foundation, Scripture becomes a supporting text when convenient to support your current values and views instead of it being the foundation that actually builds our values and our views. And when scripture contradicts our values and views that are already in place, then woke Christianity dismisses the irrelevance of that scripture, saying that it can't apply for today because those who wrote it did not understand the evolution and complexities of our modern day culture. So it rejects the authority and the authenticity of what we just read, that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful not just for the day in which it was written, but for us here today. This is so important. So this is where, this is where it kind of takes a little turn, because I'm gonna be honest that most people who use that term will use it in, um, in attacking uh, progressive mindsets, because what we tend to do is we follow what media and pop culture does, and everything that they push on us is trying to push us into a political direction because we live in a nation that has a political system and those in power are going to use their power and influence to push you in, an, in a political direction that will benefit what they're trying to accomplish. Sometimes we think we have free speech, but we're being pushed in a direction to, be, to use somebody else's expression of free speech that actually isn't our own. And here's the other challenge is that when we come into the kingdom of God, scripture actually tells us that our citizenship immediately shifts priorities. Instead of being a citizen of X, Y, and Z, we are first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, which means that all of a sudden we don't get to bring our values and foundation into the kingdom of heaven and mix it. We lay those things down and we take on the values and the expression of a brand new citizenship. And then from there, we actually become, this is in, uh, in Corinthians, actually we become ambassadors, which an ambassador is somebody who is sent from one culture into another one to represent that culture and to be a voice that interacts with and speaks with. 
And so that same principle applies to us. When our citizenship changes to a heavenly citizenship, it's no longer about your preferences, your bias, how you were raised, where you were raised, how you were taught to vote as you grew up and or how you changed how to do that later. All of a sudden, all of that gets packed off to the side and we say, God, we need you to shape us. We need you to form us. We need you to show you what's near and dear to your heart because only then can we truly live the life of a Jesus follower, love God, love our neighbor the way that scripture teaches us to love our neighbor, not the way that we think. Everybody wants to talk about loving their neighbor until your neighbor disagrees with you. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, most neighbors. (laughs) It's like, no, like the context of that whole thing was when Jesus talked about the Good Samaritan, right? He took a a figure that everybody listening to him teach would have despised, which was a Samaritan, somebody that there was racial tension against. the, The Jewish culture at that time looked at it as an inferior race. And he used that individual as somebody that they were supposed to look to as an example. And so even in, how how can we reflect that in our modern culture? Well, we we need to be like Jesus and we need to not be concerned about who we are being Jesus to. We're called as citizens of the kingdom of heaven to be Jesus to the entire world around us. And so what the church has to do, and this is why I'm talking about this in the context of the church and not just everywhere in society because we can't control the definition of this word outside of the church, but we can be intentional about it inside the church. We can be intentional about who God has called us to be as his followers, which is why we can come together as a diverse background, a diverse group of people and be unified in one mission because we're not the ones bringing in our ideas of what that mission should be. We're just people who are surrendering our lives so that we can come under the existing mission that Jesus established and empowered through his Holy Spirit. Can I get three more amens out of that one? Okay. All right, that'll work. So so here's the challenge. When When we allow beliefs and values that contradict Scripture to grow inside of us and to be expressed through us, the world will look at the church and know that something's missing. They will know. They, they already know. They may not, you know, it's you know, like some people can kind of pick out from a recipe, oh, you need more of this, you need more of that. I can't do that. I'm just like, hmm, something's off. You know, I think the same way as the world looks at the church. There are many, many, many who are crushing it, laying their lives down, serving their cities, seeing cities transform. Revival is taking place in pockets all over the place, which I'm very careful when we use like all-encompassing terms like the church because all over social media, well, the church is screwing stuff up. Let's be more specific. Individuals are screwing stuff up. The church is not. The church is empowered by Christ. The church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church is not. People are. So let's not lump the bride of Christ into the dysfunction of the people who are in the body of Christ. That's pretty important. So so without the power of the Holy Spirit, we lack the ability to sustain a Jesus-following, Spirit-filled life. Because it doesn't come naturally. Like, it's not natural for you and I to just make up our mind that all of a sudden we're gonna be fully transformed, body, soul, and spirit, that overnight, because I just made some decision that now in my own strength and my own power, I have what it takes to, to love God, to love other people, to live for the Lord and to lay down myself. No, we still have a flesh that we have to deal with every stinking day that we wake up. Like we can be on, we're gonna leave church today on fire for the Lord, but I'm telling you, the moment you walk out those doors, you're gonna have stuff hitting you in the face that's gonna make you question your existence as a Jesus follower. Point in case, I'm driving down the, down the highway, somebody cuts me off. My first thought, no matter where I just came from, is not usually a holy thought. I'm not usually thinking about, man, you know, they probably got some stuff going on, I should probably pray for them. 
I'm like, no, they're about to have some stuff go on, and then I'll start praying for them. How about that? You know? It's like, no, that's, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I, got, I need the Holy Spirit to come alive inside of me because my flesh is popping up again. That, right, that's us. That's human nature. Like, we, there's so, like, even right now, we don't have to go to, uh, I know right now there's temptation all over the, all over the place in churches. Like, every week we feel like we have to, we have to preach and reference uh, uh, current events from the news. We don't. We just got to open up the word because the word's going to slap us in the face by itself. We don't have to get up and like everything has got to be this story, this situation, whatever. We don't have to do that. We just have to realize, man, we're broken. We're sinful. Jesus is working on us. The Holy, we need more of the Holy Spirit today than we did yesterday. And we need more of him tomorrow than we did today. And when we do that and we allow ourselves to get in the word of God, come on, nobody can, like a preacher can't do that for you. If this is the only time you get into the word of God, you're, gonna, you're in trouble already. You've got to have a discipline in your own life where you are spending time with Jesus in his word. Because if you don't know the word, if you don't know the truth, then how can the truth set you free? You're like, well, I know of the, I know of the truth. Well, it doesn't say if you know of the truth, the truth will set you free. It says if you know the truth. And that's not just knowing about Jesus. It's knowing how he reveals himself through the word. So we've got to be able to get into that. So, so as we look through the first and the second chapter of Acts, chapter one is really kind of Luke reminding uh, how Jesus said, this is what's going to happen, and this is what you need. You have to have the Holy Spirit before you go out and be a witness to the world around you. And Luke 2 just gives that, it's, it's the, probably one of the most famous moments in all of Scripture because this is when it gets real. This is when it goes from, wow, the Old Testament's got some stuff in there. Wow, I don't, I don't know if it makes some movies out of that or something that probably my kids aren't even old enough to go see yet, um, versus we get into the New Testament and we got the Gospels. Jesus is showing up and, man, he's, he's healing the sick. Dead dude, he's not dead. Blind guy, not blind anymore. Uh, that lady was struggling. Now she's healed. Like all these different things. And it comes to Acts where the Holy Spirit shows up in chapter 2. And Luke gives this beautiful uh, account of what happened and transpired when, when the, the spirit of the creator of the universe became manifest on earth in his people. Holy Spirit's always been here. But he's never been able to be in his people until the Holy Spirit showed up after Jesus went back to the Lord, went back to the throne in heaven. So here's, here's a couple of things that we need to take from as we look at these first couple of chapters. Next week, I'm pretty pumped. Next week, we're going to talk about the very end of chapter 2, which is where church actually began to form, community be, began to form and take shape. So here's the first thing. Some of these are not rocket science, but if we don't have this in our foundation, we're going to miss something. Here's number one. The church is God's design. We already kind of talked about that. This isn't man's idea. If it is, it's a terrible idea. But if it's God's idea, then it's got a purpose. And it's worth the wrestling match. It's worth the struggle. It's worth the difficulties of trying to figure out relationship and community together. And it's not like, well, you know, I said something I didn't like, so it's time to go to another church. No, why don't you try being planted for a while and see if God's going to grow something in you and work something in you. He's trying to work out of you, but you can't get it worked out of you because every time that nerve gets touched, you bounce somewhere else. Find somewhere where you can be home, get planted, and allow the Holy Spirit to do work inside of you through the church. Number two, the gospel is the message from the church that the world needs. That means that we have to be in the world, right? Not just like circling the wagons and saying, Jesus, come. <laughs> like, it's too bad, it's getting worse and worse. Actually, it's getting better, but usually darkness gets louder the more that it gets pushed into a corner. So you need to understand the kingdom of God is victorious. We're not struggling. We're not struggling. Number three, the church and Jesus' followers are the messengers of the gospel. That's you. Somebody say, that's me. that's me. It's not the job 
of people who are in uh, what Ephesians would say is the fivefold ministry. It's not the pastor's job to be the messenger to the world. It's actually our job to equip you to go be the messenger in the world. But we gotta be on message, am I right? Or we misrepresent to the world who Jesus is. Number four, the Holy Spirit is the power of the gospel to be alive and effective. Again, as we already talked about this, without the Holy Spirit, the gospel actually loses its power. We need the Holy Spirit active in our lives every single day. And number five, the Holy Spirit is the power you need to be an effective witness of Christ. And we could do a whole seminar, like how do I witness? Witnessing isn't, isn't some people think, well, it's just it's getting those little paper tracks and going out to strangers and like, hey, don't wanna go to hell? Okay, cool, here, take this. Um, or knocking on doors. I mean, there are people that have gifts for doing that, and if you do, go get it. But being a witness is, has more to do with just your everyday life. Like, your, your witness may start with your children. Actually, if you have children, it does start with your children. It may be your marriage. It may be your immediate family. It may be where God's placed you in your neighborhood. So, you know, don't complain about where you're living and say, God, I'm, okay, help me to be present so that I can be effective where you've called me. Maybe it's your workplace. Everywhere where God has given you a sphere of influence is a place where he has called you to be an effective witness. The Holy Spirit is that power that you need. So check this out. When the Holy Spirit got involved, all of a sudden we see things shifting in Scripture. We see these uh, Jesus followers that literally from the moment that Jesus was arrested, like they were scared. They went into hiding. And then they saw what happened to Jesus, and they're like, uh, yeah, we don't want that to happen to us. So we're just going to chill up here. We're going you know, to hang out. We're going to have community. That's what we're going to have community. That's what we're going to do. And they're, they're hiding. Like even after his resurrection, like Jesus still had to walk through a door like a ghost. He had to walk through a door just to get where they were because they were still locked away. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up, and what used to be contained and locked away began to spill out. Check this out. The Holy Spirit shows up, and it's that same dude, Peter, that we all love to make fun of. He's probably an awesome dude. Can't wait to meet him one day. He goes from being the guy that was denying that he even knew Jesus to being the same person filled with the Holy Spirit who stood up and preached to thousands with boldness and with confidence and with accuracy, seeing more than 3,000 people added to the church the very first day. That's a good, I'm just gonna tell you, that's a good day as a pastor. That's a good day. Kind of makes you nervous for week two, but that's okay. You know, week one, boom, 3,000, one who's coming back. We gotta do some discipleship up in here. Okay. Um, the Holy Spirit gave, uh, gave supernatural prayer language that connects people, connects their spirit straight to the spirit of God. And this is what I know, like even in a church like ours, because we have people that come from all over the place, like no church background, uh, de-church, because you're hurt and broken from different things, uh, other denominational backgrounds. So like for people who have never uh, been taught about the Holy Spirit, it's usually much easier to embrace just the point blank reality of what scripture is teaching. Like I don't believe for one second that, because it talks about how they spilled out of the upper room and people from other languages like, you know, Peter didn't come out of the upper room going like, hey, buenos dias, como estas? Uh, you know, it wasn't like speaking Spanish. They were praying in a heavenly prayer language that the Holy Spirit used so that other people could hear about God. And sometimes to get ourselves out of having to believe in the supernatural element of what we're reading, we try to make literal sense of everything that we read and try to make it so it doesn't apply to us today. Like, well, that's just, that's back then. That was... You know, they were speaking Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and other stuff. That's probably what was going on. No, the Holy Spirit showed up, and as they gave utterance, they began to speak in a heavenly language. Paul begins to teach on that throughout some of his letters as well. So here's the deal. If, if you've never experienced that before and that's new to you, then you just need to go to God and ask for it. 
Say, God, baptize me in your Holy Spirit. Give me a prayer language. And as, as you begin to speak, because you don't get possessed by the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a, uh, in, in a, in a realm where some people had that impression, like to get the Holy Ghost. Because you, you also say it differently, too. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Ghost. To get the Holy, it's like you had to be possessed by the Holy Ghost. No, you don't get possessed by the Holy Ghost. He comes and is alive inside of you. And you get to, again, by faith, choose to interact with the Holy Spirit the way that he leads. And when he gives you a prayer language, you pray in that prayer language. And there's tons of other teaching to get to it, I get it. But if you come from a denominational background that has either not believed in the expression of the Holy Spirit or the gifts or, or prayer language, then there's some things that you gotta, you gotta kind of back, back up a little bit, go back in the scripture and be like, is that accurate what I was taught or was that just something that was being taught because of the comfort level of those that were teaching it? And so, and I don't say that in any condemning, I'm not standing up here saying I got it all figured out, y'all. I'm just, I'm just, I know what scripture says and I know that because of what scripture says, what I have seen and what I have experienced through the truth of scripture, and I'm telling you it's real. And when you, when, you, when you write it off as just being, well, you know, I found a couple of verses, it's for some, it's not for others. Stop trying to find the outs for you to not experience the fullness of everything God wants you to experience. <clears throat> and all the Holy Ghost people just said amen. <laughs> okay, anyway, I know I love it, I love it. All right, so here's where I wanna finish. Uh, Moses, go ahead, come on up. Uh, this is how I wanna finish. Let's make this practical. How do we get the Holy Spirit active in our lives, okay? Because that's, that's really what it's all about. We can talk about the big picture, the church, and, and, and thousands of years of history, and, and the church has had great moments and bad moments, but Jesus has never changed, right? And, and we can talk about the Holy Spirit. We can talk about being a witness, and sometimes it can connect, and maybe for you, sometimes that's not where you are. But where every single one of us is right now should be in the place where we say, Holy Spirit, how can you be active and alive in my life starting today? Here's the first one. Again, these are not rocket science, but I'm telling you, so much of Scripture isn't, isn't trying to blow your mind from a, from a revelation standpoint. It's just trying to reveal truth to you that is plain for us if we would put our faith in Christ. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you fresh every day. Get filled up every single day. I love the electric cars now because I don't have, but yeah, the, the electric cars, because everywhere you go, you, you stop and you plug it back in, right? Because you want it to stay charged. Imagine if we took that same principle and applied it to ourselves spiritually. Some of us are dry and struggling and empty because we don't charge ourselves back up. Or we wait until it's so dire, we show up to church, pastor, oh my gosh, I need you to pray for me. I'm struggling. Be like, how many times this week have you had time and asked the Holy Spirit to fill you? Oh, you know, this going on, it's just crazy. I know I should. We, we, we're all, we're really good at should, right? We're good at should. Um, but we need to be, we need to get better at saying, hey, the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm your servant. I've surrendered my life to you. So today's a new day. Don't get caught up in, I gotta get up early. Got this going on at work. Got this with my family, my kids, this situation going on. Man, I can't even watch what's going on on TV. And then you go back to sleep, just trying to make a paycheck to pay for your life. Be intentional and realize that your life isn't just for God to bless. Your life is here to serve the Lord but you're not gonna be able to do that well if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit lighting up what God's called you to be in your sphere of influence. Pray in your prayer language morning, every morning and throughout the day. Like all, just in those moments, find those moments to pray. And again, we just mentioned that. If you haven't experienced that, if you don't have that, then ask the Lord. It doesn't have to be some crazy altar experience where we're up here pushing people around. Like you can just ask and the Lord will give it to you. You know why? Because it's called a gift. It's not called the earning of the Holy Spirit. It's called the gift of the Holy Spirit. Number three, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you through every day. 
It's so simple, right? But like when you wake up tomorrow morning, instead of just getting out your normal routine, like set your alarm five minutes earlier and get up. Slap yourself in the face a couple times. That works for me. Go make your cup of coffee, whatever it is that you do, and say, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do today? I mean, go to work. It's like, you know, don't go to work today. That's not the Holy Spirit. I was like, through the life where God has you living, I just felt like somebody needed to make sure they, I got that specific for him real quick. They're like, I'm being led by the Spirit, calling in sick. That's not, not the Holy Spirit. That's right, activate. <laughs> Number four, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Scripture to you as you read it. Can I tell you a secret? God can't reveal Scripture to you if you don't read it. I mean, I, well, pastor gave me a scripture. I'll, oh, get your own. There's lots, there's lots of them. No, but I'm telling you when, you, when you have Bible time, when you have Jesus time, you open up your word. Before you just start, because I do this too, like I'll open, either it's my physical one or like you version Bible up, I'm like verse of the day. All right, I did it, kept my streak alive. Uh, for those of you who know what that is. Got my verse of the day. And then, you know, you kind of move on. You're like, I got some word in me. But that, that's not very intentional. You know, even if all you have because of some moment is a verse of the day popping up, at least give yourself the moment to be like, okay, Holy Spirit, what would you, what, what are you speaking to me? What are you trying to say to me today? Just invite the Holy Spirit. Number five, ask the Holy Spirit to flood every sphere of influence in your life. Don't, you shouldn't be surprised when you have favor as a Jesus follower. You should expect it. Jesus followers aren't meant to be the tail. They're meant to be the head. The church is not meant to follow culture. We're supposed to lead it. We need to understand that if God's given you a sphere of influence, well then invite him in and ask him to lead you because it's for a reason. It's a resource, it's something to steward. And as we've taught for weeks, what you don't steward that God's given you, he'll take from you and give it to somebody that will. <clears throat> Let me pray for you. Can you bow your heads, close your eyes? How are your toes doing, everybody's feet? Okay, all right. Um, I'll tell you what, Tuesday, our, every, every Tuesday we have a team that gathers here and prays. And we, we, right back there in that back wall where we have our prayer wall, we, we circle around and we pray. Absolutely everybody is invited to that, six to seven o'clock every Tuesday. And uh, it's not a church service. We show up and we just begin to pray. And it's pretty stinking powerful. And I'm telling you, as we prayed last week, God gave me this vision. I didn't share it in that moment, but God gave me this vision as we were praying over our region. And I saw the fist of God from heaven come down and slam right in the middle of our valley. He struck the ground and I'm telling you, things begin to shake. And I don't know what that means all the way. I just know that if God wants to pound something and shake something, I wanna be a part of it. We need, guys, I'm telling you, this isn't just some charismatic Pentecostal metaphor at all. We need the Holy Spirit. Without it, we don't have the power. And without the power, we got nothing. Can you put your hands on your heart? I wanna pray for all of you. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. And here's the deal, you can't get the Holy Spirit if you don't put your faith in Jesus. There is an order to things. If Jesus is not the Lord and the Savior of your life, then you can never experience the power of the Holy Spirit. You can see it evident elsewhere, but you can't see it in your life. And I cannot imagine living a life that is devoid of the power of the supernatural Holy Spirit of God. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church Podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. 
If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ConvoChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening, and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.